Okay, if you take your Bibles, we're heading into the Word of God this morning in Colossians, and we're walking through this amazing letter to the Colossians, Paul writing to a church he did not personally know, and he gives this wonderful counsel, and and we've, we've looked. It's amazing, actually, and, and, and if you look at it, we had this peace that we've gone into in chapter 3, where in chapter 3 he started off saying, you, this amazing thing that's changed for you and I, that we have died, and that our life is hidden in Christ. And that's what we've been singing about. That's our life, is that Jesus Christ has come. And because of him, we give up on ourselves, we turn to him and trust him, and this changes us. We have a new hope. The hope is that when Christ appears, we also will be with him in glory. How cool. We've been looking in chapter 3 because that was the beginning of chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, and that controls the rest of it. And because that's true, you and I, and if you're here at church this morning, this is what you believe with me, that Jesus is everything and that you've died and your life is in Christ. The rest of chapter 3 is about how that plays out in the relationships that we have and how remarkable and different it is. So we started last week and we began looking at at how it plays out in relationships, particularly these household code kind of items. And we looked at marriages, and we looked at uh, kids and parents, these short commands that Paul gave that essentially, though, we would take them as, oh, we just got to get them done. But instead, we saw they're actually flowing directly out of we've died, and our life is hidden Christ. So now instead of, boy, i got to make sure that I obey my husband because that merits something from God, now we say, what a beautiful picture that we get to show of Jesus and the church in our marriages. What an amazing thing that as a, as a parent or as a child that I'm, I'm obeying for the, for the reason of response to this truth that I'm in Christ. I'd hope to get through all of it because there's one more set of commands that he goes through, but we didn't make it through because I'm too wordy. So we have part two today. <laughs> and part two is the last set of commands, and he's going to talk to bond servants, which you could translate slaves, and masters. So that's what we get to tackle today. And, and as we look at that, it's under the same heading. It's under the same framework of you've died and your life is hidden Christ. And so I just want to say as we start, it is not an equivalency. You've got to watch out what he's talking about and why. When he says bond servants, slaves, that doesn't equal workers. When he says masters, that doesn't equal employers. I want to show you how important that is and why, how Paul takes this class, this social group this that existed then as it was, and he talks to them how you and I can be amazed and even be changed at how we view our labor, the things that we do. Because I'll tell you, for me, we tend to value certain things differently, you and I. Like, for example, if I work at the coffee kiosk, I don't think that's very good like it would be if I was a physician. Someone that's saving people and in the hospital saving lives. That's not as good as working at a coffee kiosk. It's better to be doing the other thing. And, and, and in my head, even if you wouldn't, because we're in church, we would never look down on anyone who does different jobs or different tasks. In our own lives and in our hearts, we value ourselves many times based on the stuff we do. Based on how society sees the stuff we do. If you're a mom at home, maybe it's not as good as if you were a nurse in the hospital taking care of people. Or even better, a missionary overseas. 
How do you see the things you do right now and how do other people see it? That's really important. That's what Paul's hitting. Because of the gospel, we see things in a different way. And I want to show you, this is what the text is about. We'll be looking at it, this perspective of all work is sanctified. Everything you do is going to be a response to Jesus. And, and it's not so much that you got to worry about what it is. Let's take a look. This is where we're going, reflecting on relationships. We'll look at this first piece is, you see, goes after these bond servants to obey masters. So take a look with me. Ephesians, I mean, sorry, Colossians chapter 3. We'll start in verse 22. Here it is. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Okay, I think it's remarkable as we start today, and we've got to get this out so you see it, get our context right, is that he's not talking to workers, and this is going to become real important in the text, so let me, let me state why I think that's true. You realize that in Paul's day, slavery was a thing, and it wasn't so much like the slavery of today um, that was based essentially on a racial, terrible injustice that was going on. There were, there were pieces of it where people actually did choose to be slaves because they were down on their luck. They'd lost all their lands. They lost everything they had. So they would indenture themselves to someone, and it was bond servant. It was a slave. You would say, hey, I have no money. I've, I've lost everything I have. I've, I've maybe haven't you know, been a good steward of my own money. I'm going to go attach myself to someone, and they're going to provide for me, and I'll work for them. And, and whatever labor I have is to pay off my debt. That's, that's a slavery. There's the other kind, too, people captured in wars or people but unjustly under. Th- that happened, too. This isn't a rosy picture. But there's that, that caste thing going on in society. At the same time, there are people who are just working jobs, right? Do you remember what Paul was? Paul the Apostle. He was a disciple. No, he was a tent maker, Acts says. He made tents. What does that mean? It means he made tents and sold them. You could go to the market and sell things. It's called employment. You make things. You're a farmer and you sell your goods. So all of that's going on. So when Paul comes and he comes and he says, slaves, obey your masters. He's not saying workers, be a good worker. He's saying something particular to this class of people. The people who found themselves in this situation. And there's something for us to, even though we're not slaves and we don't like slavery, it's wrong. There's something for us to learn about how Paul talked to this group. So think with me about what's going on. Slaves, you know, they aren't able to work to earn more. They're forced to work. And so Paul takes this relationship of slaves being under authority, and it's not their own authority. And importantly, it's not God. They have earthly masters. And the really wonderful, amazing thing that we need to think about about this verse is Paul speaks to slaves who are under earthly masters, says, you obey your earthly masters. Not just a little bit, not just with eye service, like just to kind of make them happy so you do the important work over here. Not people pleasers, you know, yeah, 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 I'll do whatever you say. No way, I'm doing that. But it says, with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. So their service to the Lord is going to be serving these earthly masters. This becomes really important when you think about who the earthly masters are. Hint, they're not Christians. So the slave who has... Now, given the authority over them is the earthly master, and the earthly master is 
probably a pagan. He's probably after his own advancement. He's want to build up his own stuff, and it's nothing to do with God, and it's it is not helpful to God. It's not stuff where it's like, oh, I'm I'm serving the kingdom. It's not not this like, hey, we join with me as we have a vision to build the pyramids. This is about people building pagan buildings in a pagan society, advancing pagan concepts, anti-Christian even. And Paul says to this group, who are, he's, he's talking to the church, so he's talking to people who are gathering to worship Jesus, they know Christ, and he says to them, obey those people. Labor for them. Obey them as your slave labor benefits families and ideas and lifestyles that don't honor God, right? That's an amazing statement that he's making. Sometimes we slip right over it. Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. This is this obedience is, is um, listening to and doing them is, and, and this authority. It's not, it's not their heavenly master. Yet by doing this, Paul says, you're serving who? The Lord. That Lord there means Jesus. And so the whole idea is that even though their actual labor isn't what you would call some cool, amazing work for God, they're actually cert- they're doing the very best. You can-, can you do any better than serving Jesus? That's, that's all that your life is about, right? You say, hey, I'm a Christian that's changed. I've died. I only live in Jesus. What do you want to do now? I want to serve Jesus. I say, amen. And Paul says, okay, serve Jesus by what? Obeying earthly masters. You're going to look at that work and you're going to say, man, my master is building a Buddha. i got to stop this. And Paul says, no, actually you're serving Jesus. That, that's, that's an amazing thing, right? With sincerity of heart, truly from the heart, fearing the Lord means trembling at Jesus. It's not like, oh, I'm trembling because I'm afraid in some, like, oh no, Jesus is going to strike me sense. It's an amazement at that I died and my life is hid in Christ and the gospel is true. And because the gospel is true, I can, with fear and trembling, the amazement of I'm saved and everything I have is from Christ, I can go and I can do the thing in front of me. Not worry that I've got to get something accomplished so that God will bless me. That, that That's not where it's at, right? That's not where the gospel's at. So the depth of the gospel means we want to show that the gospel in life is real life, even with injustice to my own idea of how I spend my time. This is hard for me to understand in many ways in America. Because our culture is so different, right? Our culture is so different. This is why it's not about being a good employee, because here's the deal. Say I'm working. And there I am working, and my employer begins to put up pictures of Buddha all over the wall. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to quit. I'm going to go find myself another job. Because when in America, when we work in jobs, I contract out my time and I get something from it. What do I get? Money. So I'm getting something for the labor. And if I don't like the labor I'm doing, I'll go do different labor. So this isn't like, oh, what you need to do is you need to be like a slave and you need to do whatever your employer says. Even if it's not good, you should just do it. No, that's not us. We get to do whatever we want and you get to do something you think is valuable. That's fantastic. The point is not that in this text because you're not a slave. The point is this. All work has value. 
Why? Because you're valued by the king. If a slave was instructed that the way they're serving Jesus is just to do what their employer, their, their master says, your earthly master, and this was equated by Paul to serving the Lord. Dude, anything you do can be serving the Lord, right? That, that's what he's after. If you're serving Jesus, you're doing as well as you can do. It's not, man, you need to get and you need to escape that situation so that you can serve Jesus. There's a whole little book of the Bible about that. It's called Philemon, where there was an escaped slave. He's like, I'm out of there. What did Paul say? Go back. So out of the box. Because it's not about us determining, oh, I'm going to find the very best thing I can do for Jesus. No. Jesus has already done the best for you. Everything you do now can be service of him. Everything. So we tremble because we have the greatest gift ever known. We have eternal life with Jesus. Salvation, justification, sanctification, all these big words. They're all given to me. Nothing else is needed. So I'm not weighing my time like somehow I've got to make sure I get the most out of it to glorify God. Not if a slave can just serve their earthly master and that's serving Jesus. Huge stumbling block for us because we see value in different activities. And again, I, I in my own heart, I struggle with this because, man, I, I, I studied, studied to be a doctor because I saw that's a great value and not just that, but great money. I thought, man, that's, that's better. And then the Lord called me into pastoral ministry and said, well, but then are the doctors that stayed, two Christian doctors that stayed in that town where I was working, are they less because they didn't leave their, their practices and go into pastoral work? What am I doing? I'm trying to value things that maybe the Lord doesn't value, right? I like this quote Luther said, Martin Luther, he, he was writing about dads and diapers and cleaning diapers. You know, back in the day in the 1600s when Luther was around, they didn't have disposable diapers. So if you're going to clean diapers, you're talking about, you know, cloth, scrubbing, stinky. And he said, he said uh, alas, of this dad, he said, alas, must I rock the baby, wash its diapers, Make its bed. Smell its stench. Blah, he says. Labor. Why, why do I do that? Why, why should I make such a prisoner of myself? He even said, oh, you poor wretched fellow. Have you taken a wife? Fie upon such wretchedness. It's better to remain free and lead a peaceful, carefree life. I will become a priest or a nun and compel my children to do likewise. So he said, well, then what does a Christian faith say to this? This is a quote from him. He says, it, it opens his eyes and looks upon all these insignificant, distasteful, and despised duties in the spirit. And it's aware that they are all adorned with divine approval as with the costliest gold and jewels. It says, oh God, because I am certain thou hast created me. I know for certainty that, that I am I'm yours. And so it said, I confess to thee that I am not worthy to rock the little babe or to wash its diapers, or to be entrusted with the care of the child and his mother? How is it that I, without any merit, have come to this distinction of being certain I am serving thy creature in thy most precious will? How gladly I will do so, though the duties be more insignificant and despised. See what he's saying? He's saying what we're talking about. The little duties, the things that aren't radical, the things that are daily obedience, these things, he says, I'm just not worthy of anything. So anything that I get to do, 
in response to the gospel is a huge win because I'm not worthy. That's what Paul's going after. If slaves work for pagan masters as seen by Paul as serving Jesus, then anything can be serving Jesus, right? I hope. So this does away with status of our jobs, with the somehow that there's jobs that are really cool and jobs that aren't cool and, and jobs that we really want and jobs that are worthless. And we start to judge people on the amount of money they make or the status that they have or even the amount of study they've done in some ways. Of course, you know, it doesn't matter how you do it. And Paul continues to talk about that here. He says in verse 3, oh no, it's not, where am I? that's not where it is. He wants us to, to make sure that we work heartily. Work heartily, he says. Let's look at it. He says, whatever you do, there in verse 23, work heartily, as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So he goes after this, right? Work heartily as a response to the gospel. Do what's in front of you, an affirmation of this, some sense, maybe the Protestant work ethic. Work hard. Here's the thing, though. Because, again, we're so, we're so prone to mixing categories. We're so prone to just getting a mess of stuff together. Why do you work hard? You're going to say you're going to work heartily. The Bible says you should. Here it is. Why? And again, if I look at my own heart, I start to think about why do I work hard? And I say things like, I work hard because I want to have enough money. I work hard for money. I work hard because I'm, I'm contracting out the things I do that I don't really want to do so that I can get the freedom to do the things I want to do and the stuff I think I want to have and the, the whatever it is that money gets me, I want that, those things. So I, I, it's, I'm self-driven, if you will. And not just money, actually. It's also status and value. I get value out of the work that I do. I deliver 200 babies. Aren't I great? Not, but not so bold like that. You'd say something like, hey, you'd get value out of the fact that you have a degree or that you have a status or that you have a certain position or job or that you work or don't work even. These aren't bad reasons, by the way. I mean, oftentimes work is done because of effort and labor produces results. I work, and hey, if you work hard, you get results. And the Bible presented it. We looked at Proverbs about the about wisdom, right? It's just wisdom that you should work hard. And I'll pull up a couple of them again if we, we you missed them. It says here, the hand of the diligent will rule, while the slothful will be put to forced labor. What's diligent? Hard worker. What's slothful? Slug. Someone sits around on the couch. So if you work hard, man, you're going to rule. Well, if not, you're going to be put to force. Oh, wait a minute. Maybe these slaves, it's that they were slothful. And therefore, they were slaves. Because they got slothful, they lost their stuff, they had to attach themselves to somebody else, so therefore they had to become a slave, and now they're doing forced labor. It's kind of a payment thing. They're doing that, and you can start thinking that way. Because this is how the world works. Let me give you some more. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Do you see how this works? This is a push to you to work hard. What's the motivation it's giving you? You'll have enough stuff. You'll be richly rewarded. You'll get things because you're not slothful. You're diligent. 
Does that make sense? My favorite is this one. You probably know it. This is one of the biggest ones. It says, oh, go to the ant, oh sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief or officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in the harvest. How long will you lie there, O oh sluggard? Whom will you arise? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. You'd go look at those ants, and they're carrying these big, huge insects, like five of them, and they have lifted this heavy thing, and they're trotting it off to the ant hill to go store it away. Do you see what's happening with all these things? All of these things are directed towards a particular motivation. The motivation is you having enough. You do it for you. Be diligent, man, because you want to have enough to eat. Be diligent because you want to get advancement for you. What is this set up? It sets forth work as a particular thing. What is it? It's merit-based. I work so I can have. That's what it is, right? If I didn't have to have, maybe I wouldn't work. But because I need to get for me, and, and it is absolutely merit-based. Work hard, get more. This is how the world works. Proverbs tells you how the world works, and it does work this way. If you just sit in your room and do nothing, who's going to feed you? Get off your behind. Get to work. Work is meritorious. I don't work for nothing. The reason to work hard is to get ahead. And that really normal way that we look at our own efforts is worthy of reward. Paul tosses in this wrench. That's what's so remarkable about the passage we're in, right? That's what's so remarkable that he doesn't, he doesn't address this passage to workers. Say, all those who labor, I have a word for you. He addresses it to slaves. That's what he's saying right there to slaves, right? Whatever you do, slave, work heartily. But, 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 but the slave has, has no reason to work heartily according to this biblical thing we just put out, right? The whole idea is that you work hard to get stuff for yourself to advance yourself. The slave is working for who? Somebody else. I'm not getting anything for me. I have to work for somebody. Why should I ever work for somebody else? I'll do the very minimum I can for somebody else, and I'll go work hard for me. I'll do a little, like, work on the side, even. Paul says to slaves, work heartily. Ask for the Lord, not for men. Knowing what? Knowing that from the Lord you receive the inheritance as your reward. So, 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 so here's the thing. You, you, you can pull in from the world. This is not the gospel. This is the world. I'm going to work hard so that I get rewarded from God. Is that what Paul's saying? No, he's going upside down. This is remarkable and different and weird. And, and this is Christianity that he actually says, work hard, slave, because you have the inheritance as your reward already. You see how different that is? Jesus died for you. And so Colossians' whole statement has been, you died and your life is hidden in Christ. When Jesus appears, I'm going to appear with him in glory. It's already said. It's already done. It's not based on my work. It's not based on anything I do. But because I have that in my head, I've got the inheritance already. It is my reward. What's the inheritance? What's coming to me in heaven? If you go to First Peter, he says, hey, that's kept for you in heaven. God does it for you. He's got it. You've got it already. You're not going to get more. Don't come back to the world. world says, and sometimes it slips into Christian circles, oh, it's just well and good that I've got the inheritance as my reward, but I want a bigger inheritance. 
I want a bigger inheritance than you. And so you start doing things that reflect the world, which is self-growing and growing your own stuff, thinking that, oh, well, I'm doing these things so that God will give me more in heaven. That's the opposite of what Paul's saying here. He's saying that we're motivated to work as hard as you could possibly work. Why? Because of this great inheritance we have that we died and our life is hidden Christ in heaven. If you really believe it, if you believe that you died, what is it you're going to get, get more for you in? You're dead. Well, you know, I'd like to just on that funeral bed, I'd like to dress myself up in nice clothes. I think they put a lot of makeup on dead people. I, I think I want some of that on me. Let me work for that. No, you died. Your life is hid with Christ. And so now addressing these slaves, but then through that idea, it, it hits us that, that it's, not, it's not that we're getting something from our labor in Christ. It's that we're acting out of what we've been given. It's everything. It's an amazing difference. It's it's huge. It's so sure. And I think about how Jesus has died for me, and I respond. It's different than how the wisdom of this world is. It's We work hard to get ahead, and this is upside down. It, if we had another hour, we could talk through a theology of reward. This concept that creeps into evangelical Christianity, that somehow you and I, by our behaviors right now, will get more from God. I think it's a mistake. Because it draws us into something called merit. There's no merit in our salvation. Jesus did it all. It's even reflected, if you think about it, in different different parables and different things, right? There's this, in Matthew 20, there's this parable. You probably know it, but let me walk you through it. It's really interesting. Jesus Christ himself tells a story, and he says this. He says, early in the morning, there was a man who wanted laborers for his vineyard. Remember that, the parable of the laborer in the vineyard? He goes out and he hires people and says, I'll give you a whole day's wage. Come with me. I love it. Come hire and you'll work for me. And so they go out and they start working. And then at noon, he comes back and he hires more people. And like with an hour before it ends, he goes and he just gathers in whoever's around and says, hey, you guys can come on out too. And when it comes time to pay him, he pays the, the guys who just worked a little bit first and he gives them a whole day wage. <laughs> this makes him so excited, the people who'd been there all day. Why? Because they thought, those guys got paid a whole day's wage for one hour's of work. We've worked for ten hours. Oh, I wonder what we're going to get. And so he gives them one day's wage. They're not happy. We, we, we deserve more. We earned more. We merit more because you gave them that and you gave me. You should give me more. What's the point? point is, not about your work. It's about the Father who gives. And you and I, what we get is an inheritance in heaven that's only in Christ and in Christ alone. And here he's done everything for us and he gives us his righteousness. He gives us his salvation. It's a gift. And so it's not about our labor. But, 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 we all labor. There's no extra value in yours versus mine. I'm like, you're a really good, sharp knife and I'm a dull, terrible knife. It's all just Jesus. We have the gift and we all respond. So it says work heartily. He says to slaves who have no ability to get more out of that working heartily, it's just to the Lord and not for men. Because why? Because we have an inheritance that is our reward. You're not going to need more. That's what it is. He even says, don't worry about injustice, right? Because that's how he ends there in 25. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. 
Don't worry about, about people not doing it right. Don't worry about people mistreating you. You're responding to what you already have. It can't get lost. They can't take it away from you. They can't, by treating you wrongly, rob your reward that you already have in Christ, which is your inheritance. That's what he's saying. You are Christ because you believe. So you just work heartily as to Jesus. Don't worry about being the fairness person. God's going to sort it out. There will be a sort out, you know. He's talking to slaves. This is a huge possibility that they'll be mistreated, that they'll be not, not, not treated rightly by authority over them. In fact, because of that, I think he goes and he has a word for masters too. Let's talk about that for a minute and we'll be done. Exercising authority. So now he, he leaves the slaves and this message that we've had, this, this encouragement we've had to do it differently because of the gospel. And then he turns to the masters. And he says this, masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing you also have a master in heaven. Again, in our own want, in our own without the lens of the gospel, we just look at this and we say, okay, sounds great. Because we should be just and we should be fair. And really the first word means good. Treat your bondservants with goodly. And the second one really means justly. So be good and be just. Be a good master, of course. Why wouldn't you? Actually, with that thought and that heart, we go tootling off to tell how good of a master we're being, whether we're being just or fair. And you miss it. You miss the real thing that drives you. If you, and you will someday, you'll be in authority, and you'll be in authority over someone else. What's going to help you in authority be a good person in authority? Well, it's a master be a good master. Because power corrupts, and it corrupts absolutely. We talked about this last week. Here it is. You also have a master. That's the line. You see, you should, you should be this way. You should respond this way because you remember that you too have died and your life is hidden in Christ. He owns you entirely and completely. Your whole life is about Jesus Christ and what he's done. And he, he's, he's a love for people. And he sees what you do too. Right? It says, peace, here, you aren't really the master. All authority is stewardship. It's not value. You didn't get to be a master because you're better than other people, not if you believe the gospel. You didn't get to be a master because you've been diligent and they've been slothful. You got to be a master because, because there's a master in heaven and, and he set this up for you and, and therefore you need to reflect him. That's, that's where he goes, right? Okay. Again, this whole framework that we've talked about today these pieces about, about being a slave and being a master and this relationship that he goes after. It's not being a worker and being an employer. If you'll get that, and you'll get it in the framework of the gospel, then you begin to see the wonder and the depth of what it is Paul's telling us today, which is you and I have died. Our life is hidden in Christ. When Christ who is our life appears, we also will appear with him in glory. That's so amazing. It starts to impact every single thing we do. One of the things that it impacts us is how we think about the work that we do, the daily work. And let me just say from the Bible, every single daily thing that you do is of value. Why is it of value? Because you're valued by the king. So it doesn't matter if you're sorting paper or if you're saving babies. It doesn't matter if you're overseas speaking about Jesus or if you're in the school district helping people learn English. These things that we tend to value each other on instead are just about us responding to the gift that we've already had. The Lord will use you. 
Maybe in ways you don't even expect. Because even bond servants, they they were just serving their earthly masters. And yet they were serving the Lord. Every breath we have left on earth is serving Jesus. And that's no matter what we do. There's no extra value that we're going to get more from. There's just Christ and him crucified. Would you look at each other that way? Would you look at yourself that way? Would you rejoice with trembling at the great gift you've been given in Jesus? Let's pray.